On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about miracles. We haven't talked about this subject in a good while, Jacob, uh, but it is an important one. And sadly, it's one that is uh, sort of controversial in the religious world. There are a lot of people who think miracles are commonplace, and we want to talk about that. And tonight. a lot of people say if you deny their miracles, then you're some type of blasphemer or denying God. Heathen. Yeah, we're going to talk about that on the program tonight. Don't go anywhere. We're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday march 31st 2022 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight kyle's behind the controls tonight kyle with uh maybe some seasonal allergy problems or something going on yeah yeah it's good to be here though about me to be riding your mute button tonight Tonight, yep. so if you All want right. to talk, give me a warning. <laughs> and we're glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight at eight seven seven or nine three one three eight one four five six seven. Let your voice be known and heard on the phone tonight. The line is open and ready for your call. Email us questions at collegeview.com. Sign into the chat window to the bottom of your video feed where Dwight and I, and Michelle in Iowa, Brian in California, and Grant and Janie in Tennessee have already signed in. You can sign in and comment with other listeners on the program tonight. Jacob, something that we don't talk about all the time, we frequently mention it, but we are open to topic suggestions. So if you've got a, a topic, not necessarily something that you have never studied before or something that, that you know, maybe you, you already know the answer, but you feel it would be a worthy discussion, send us that topic. And either we can make a whole program out of it or we can add it to our stack of stuff and, and include it in one of our smorgasbords le- uh, programs. And you also should mention that we're open to guest uh, participants of the program, maybe someone who would like to, to come, come on in. And challenge us about something that we've taught, or you know, maybe it, your it, preacher would be willing to do that. It's all it's, it's increasingly discouraging to me, Jacob, that people will disagree with us or with anybody for that matter, but they won't they won't engage. You know, so they say that what we say is wrong, but they're not willing to to come on and defend what they believe and demonstrate why we what we believe is wrong. That just shouldn't be. I mean, if if it's if it is a point of doctrine. And we're wrong. We invite you to come and please explain to us why we're wrong. At least let us discuss it openly with open Bibles. Uh, we want to do that. So if anybody's listening, uh, if you disagree, if you don't personally feel like you could defend your position, how about your preacher or someone else that would be willing to engage us in this study? All right. Absolutely. Questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use at any time. We we'll look forward to hearing from you. 
And on to our topic tonight. All right. So tonight we want to talk about a sort of a controversial religious subject. We want to talk about miracles. And we, we simply entitled our program True Miracles. Uh, and hopefully that implies that we think there are such things as true miracles. But also that should imply that we think there are some things that are not true miracles. Okay. All right. So uh, we sent out earlier today to our update list. We always remind you, get on our list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at College View. And just say, add me to the list. Here's what we sent out to our update list earlier today. Number one, what's the correct definition of miracle according to biblical usage? Okay. Number two, concerning the miracles we read about in the Bible, can they be explained in some natural way? What are some of the variety of miracles we read about in the Bible? And what are the unique and identifying characteristics of true Bible miracles as contrasted with the claims of modern-day miracle workers? Number three, explain these arguments that demonstrate miracles are not happening today. One, the purpose of miracles has been fulfilled. Two, the means of receiving miraculous powers is no longer available. Three, the the scriptures foretold the end of miracles. And then finally, number four, and I'm interested to get your input on this if you're in the chat room or if you can send us an email and haven't done so already. How do you explain when people claim that they have seen or know of miracles happening today. How, how do you respond to them? How do you explain it to them? Okay. So we'll talk about that at the end of the program. I think the necessary beginning place, though, Jacob, is with that first question. What's the correct definition of a miracle according to biblical usage? And and you have to say according to the way the Bible uses that terminology because people use the terminology miracle very loosely. Uh I made it home t- tonight without running out of gas. It was a miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my 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 roof didn't leak yesterday when the wind blew and the rain came down. It was a miracle that my roof didn't leak. Uh, a baby was born to a loved one yesterday. It was a miracle. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just using uh, just a few examples of how people will use the word miracle very loosely. Uh, it's, it's no miracle when my car didn't run out of gas. I mean, that's that's a uh, that's even can be calculated how miles per gallon and how many gallons you got and how far you go on a gallon of gas. It's, uh, you may have been pushing the limits, but it wasn't a miracle because you got home without running out of gas. It's not a miracle that the roof didn't leak. Uh, the 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 roof held up as it was designed to do in a wind and rainstorm. The, that was all by design and planning of the people who put the roof on. A, a, a baby being born that is a an amazing thing, absolutely incredibly amazing when a baby is born. Mm-hmm. But it's not a miracle because it's absolutely according to known and established laws of science. I mean, the whole process from beginning to end is well understood scientifically, and it happens over and over again following the exact rules and laws of science every time a baby is born. There was an exception. In the whole history of mankind, there's been one exception, and that was Jesus being born of a virgin. That was a miracle. But with the exception of that, every time in the billions of times that babies have been born throughout the course of history, every time it's happened according to the known laws of science, and it was not miraculous. A miracle, a Bible miracle, is when something happens that... that 
contradicts natural law. It's what happens when natural law is suspended and something supernatural takes place. Uh, we're going to talk in a minute about some of the variety of miracles that that are recorded in the New Testament. But just take one example. Jesus walked on the surface of the water. Now, that's not what normally happens. The laws of nature don't allow for that. The laws of nature say that when you get in the water, you'll sink down. Now, you might you might be able to have some degree of buoyancy, mm-hmm. but you certainly can't walk on the water no. uh, naturally. In order to do that, that would be a suspension of natural law. And that's what we mean by a Bible miracle. When natural law is suspended and something that supersedes nature takes place. Correct. And that's important. We've got to have that definition firmly seated here because that's going to be the foundation for our discussion about miracles. Not something that's amazing that happens. Not something that even is unlikely that happens. Yeah. But something that is a suspension of natural laws, laws that God put in place when he created the world. In the chat room, Dwight has said biblical miracles are out of the norm. Actually, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's not just out of the norm, but out of the realm of things that happen by nature. Right. You know, it could, so a woman has four babies all at once, quadruplets. That's out of the norm, but it's still a natural process. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I think I understand what Dwight's trying to get at it. But but I think we got to even be more specific than that to say it's it's not just out of the norm. It's out of the realm of possibilities when taken in consideration of natural law. All right. Not on something that's just unusual, not something that's phenomenal, not something that's amazing, but it is a contradiction, a violation of natural laws that God has put in place. Yeah. We got some emails that came in, Jacob. Here's what Grant said from Franklin, Tennessee. He says, according to Bible usage, a miracle would be works of a supernatural origin and character, and such could not be produced by natural agents or means. It would be a work that defies the laws of nature. Examples would include raising someone from the dead or healing a blind man from birth. Right. Those type of things. There's no doubt about them, what they are. Uh, when someone sees them, they know that this could not happen any other way. And by some type of supernatural. Yeah, for for instance, when Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, had died, Jesus went to the tomb where he was buried. Said, "Roll the stone back." They said, "Oh man," I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I think they said, "I'm not sure you want to do that because he's been dead three days and and he will stink. His body will have begun to decompose." Yeah. Jesus raised a man who whose body should have been in a state of decomposition because they didn't embalm their their dead bodies. Uh, and and yet he Jesus raised him a supernatural event. And it's uh, we can tell this by the reaction that was received by the miracles in the New Testament, how they were supernatural, supernatural in fact that those who were prone to fooling people or pulling off some type of magic tricks, they had to admit that's a supernatural event. I'm thinking about the magicians in in Egypt as they try to compete with Moses and Aaron on the plagues, and they say, wait, we can't do this. There's something here we can't mimic. Think about Simon the sorcerer, who was a master at fooling people. Yeah, think about that. That's a good one to bring up, Jacob. In Acts 8, verse 9, there was a certain man in 
Samaria called Simon, which before time in the, in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. Notice verse 13, though. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So here's a guy who was a charlatan, who was a faker, but when he saw real miracles, he was overwhelmed by it. All right. This is something that, uh, as well, Kent says, an observable event or happening of direct divine intervention that goes beyond the limitations of natural law. Exactly right. All right. So I really do think that that's an important place to 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 begin is is with a, a proper definition of what a miracle is uh because you know what what happens when we get in a discussion of this jacob is people say oh well miracles happen every day well and you say what do you mean well my my wife's uh, sister had a baby yesterday it's a miracle well that's not a miracle and so if we don't get the definition right then we're going to be spinning our wheels when we're trying to talk about whether real miracles happen or not I, I was I was sick. The doctor said there was no cure, and all of a sudden I got well. Not a miracle. Uh, not a miracle. The doctors aren't God. The doctors don't know everything about the condition that your body was in yeah. and don't know everything about how the body works even. And so not necessarily a miracle because you got well when you were sick and the doctor said there's nothing we can do. Yeah. All right. In the chat room, Dwight says one of the biggest miracles that is supernatural is when God parted the waters for the Israelites. When uh, I think Dwight is right there. Two times, actually, as the Israelites were, were going from Egypt to the Promised Land, the water, God parted water and let them go through on dry land when they crossed the Red Sea. And then when they were entering into the Promised Land, uh, uh, God held the waters of the Jordan River back so they could cross over on dry land. As it, uh, I Oh, have we got time? Yeah, let me tell this story. It's kind of it's kind of amusing, but uh, there was a, there was this school teacher who didn't believe, and uh, and so I don't know how it came up, but it came up that there was some discussion about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, and the teacher said everybody knows that the Red Sea is only about six inches deep there. And and the wind blew, and it kind of blew the water to all one end of a bay, and they crossed on dry land, but it was only the, the, the water was only six inches deep there, and the wind blew it out. And that's not a miracle. Everybody knows that. And a little boy in the back of the room raised his hand, and, and the teacher called on him and said, What? Johnny, what? And Johnny said, Well, I just want to praise God for the miracle. And the teacher said, I just told you it was no miracle. Uh, and Johnny said, well, I, I'm talking about how God drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we'll talk, that's what we're going to get to next about these people who try to explain away yeah. the miracles. And yeah. That's so popular in the world. Let, let, let's go back to this idea, though, before we go on, because someone's someone's maybe getting upset with what I just said about the fact that you got well when the doctor said there was no cure for you well you're are you saying that it wasn't god that that gave me better health or we were praying for better health and you're saying it wasn't no god can god can heal you but he doesn't have to do it in a supernatural ways yeah. and so certainly we believe god heals we believe that we're supposed to pray uh uh but 
it is we're not praying for a miraculous healing but a natural healing we're we're praying for the natural healing forces of the body to be stimulated in such a way that they bring about a, a cure uh, it, it may be with the help of medical doctors you know they can give you maybe they give you antibiotic or give you a chemotherapy or something else that stimulates the, the your body's natural healing abilities and and you get a cure that's not a miracle it's good it's wonderful in fact we live in such an age that we almost take some of those kind of things for granted people just a couple of generations ago would have just gone on and died uh and so it it is a great blessing but it's not a miracle all right so we've gotten ahead of ourselves a little bit here and saying that we don't believe miracles are occurring today you're gonna have to stay tuned to toward the end of the program where we explain why but we're talking about the definition of miracles, and clearly they are a supernatural, a violation of natural laws type of event. And we're going to look at some of the, the miracles that occurred in the Bible. Absolutely believe all the miracles recorded in the Bible. We're going to look at some of their characteristics next. We're going to take a break, and we'll get into that discussion on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 16. God challenges us to speak truthfully about our neighbor. Today, when you're tempted to do otherwise, remember this, and remember God sees everything. So why not determine to be pleasing in His sight this day and every day? Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can only spend it once. There's no such thing in anyone's life as an unimportant day. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things that matter least. Most people plan their vacations with better care than they do their lives. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight talking about miracles, true miracles, and their characteristics. And let's look at some of those in the Bible because uh, certainly uh, amazing miracles that are noted for us in the Bible. You know, we probably, let's do this in a little bit reverse order, Jacob. Let's first talk about what what are some of the variety of miracles that we read about. And then we want to talk about whether they can be explained away. But let's talk about the variety. What did our emailers suggest let's about Let's start in variety? the chat room tonight. Dwight and Michelle mentioned a couple. One of the biggest miracles, they say, that is supernatural is when God parted the waters of the for the Israelites. And then they add, the blind man was made well with no medicine and no doctors. So the blind man being healed. Grant says, power over material substance, time and quality. That's referencing John chapter 2 when Jesus turned water into wine. Power over physical ailments and distance. That's John chapter 4, the nobleman's son. Power over physical infirmity and time. That's John chapter 5, the lame man. Power over physical elements and quantity. That's John chapter 6, feeding the 5,000. Power over nature. John chapter 6, Jesus walking on the Sea of Galilee. Power over physical ailments in time, John chapter 9, the blind man receives his sight. Power over physical death, John chapter 7, verse, uh, the raising, uh, John chapter 11, sorry, the raising of Lazarus. So excellent uh, observations there on various ways that Jesus showed that he was over exactly. those natural laws. Exactly. 
And then Kent says, uh, miracles of healing, raising the dead, control of the forces of nature, that of speaking unlearned languages, that of interpreting unlearned tongues, that of understanding unrevealed thoughts. Uh, so very good. Uh, appreciate those, Kent. All right. So the, the, that's that, I think both those emailers gave us a good summary of some of the different kinds of miracles. So they weren't all the same kind of thing. There was a huge variety of different kind of miracles that took place. You know, if it, if it was always, you know, a paralyzed man who was made to walk, you would think, well... Yeah, yeah. Maybe they they planted that guy. Maybe he was a faker. Maybe he really could walk, but they they planted it. It was a plant. Interestingly, though, when the, when those kind of healings took place, the people knew that the person was actually a paralytic or a paralyzed person. For instance, in Acts chapter three, when Peter and John healed the lame man who sat at the gate of the temple. He, he'd always sat at the gate of the temple. He had never walked his whole life. And everybody knew him because he was always there begging at the gate of the temple. And so I, I, I would argue that the idea that they could plant a, 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 a phony is, is, is absolutely minimal. But think of all the variety of miracles, dead men being raised, walking water, turning water to wine. I mean, just over and over again, uh, all kinds of miracles and and what's interesting is that the uh even it, it wasn't just Jesus disciples who were who are giving credence to these miracles even the enemies of of Jesus had to admit that miracles were being worked in John chapter 11 after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead now you talk about a notable miracle Jesus raised a man who had been dead for 3 days and verse 47 of John 11 says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees the council. Now, stop there for a minute to say these, these are Jesus' arch enemies. These are the people who are going to ultimately be responsible for calling for his crucifixion. Uh, and they called a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. And if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So here's Jesus's worst enemies the people who will ultimately call for his death and they admit he's working lots of miracles so you got to take that you got to take that as true testimony you know the in legal terms this is called positive evidence from a hostile source right uh if if a hostile source admits something that's not in their interest to admit you got to take that as fact right they if they could have shown that it was fake they would have done so yeah they couldn't do it with lazarus they couldn't do it with these beggars that were at popular gates to the temple and to the city where people would have seen them every day. There was no social security or any type of social uh, safety net in those days. These beggars were beggars because of their infirmities, and they were there every day. People would have seen them every day. Yeah. They knew who they were. They knew they weren't faking it, and now they're getting up and walking and running and jumping. Yeah. And now we've got a miracle, and you cannot deny it. Exactly right. So what about, now we ask this question, can the, can the, any of these miracles be explained away in some natural sense? And, you know, people will go to some, uh, the skeptics, the doubters, will go to some crazy extremes trying to explain away the miracles. For instance, Jesus walking on water. Uh, I have actually heard an explanation offered 
two different explanations. One was that when the disciples cast out in the ship, Jesus came later walking on the water. But actually, there were some very shallow shelf rocks that went way out into the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus knew where they were. And he, he carefully walked on those rocks that led clear out to where the ship was. And the ship was way out. But, and the scriptures tell how far out they were. But I can't remember the distance now. Well, that's just silly, right? I mean, the idea, I mean, that's, that's an extreme. I heard another explanation of that being that in a freak type of weather scenario, the water on the Sea of Galilee had almost instantaneously frozen. And the reason Jesus could walk on the water is because he was walking on ice. Well, I mean, all of us who've, who've been around ponds and lakes and seen them freeze we know that that doesn't happen instantaneously and it certainly doesn't happen fast enough that you could suddenly walk upon it i have fallen through by the way i i give testimony i've fallen through when i was playing hockey on a pond in the winter years ago and uh, the the water had been frozen for a long time and i still fell through that so those kind of arguments actually i think the people who make those arguments lose all credibility it reminds me of romans one twenty two, professing to be wise they became fools yeah they tried to look all smart and come up with well oh, that's can't be because of this well and they show how foolish they are here's another example so when, in, in john chapter <clears throat> six jesus fed five thousand uh it, it says the number of men was five thousand so it, it may have been uh uh, that there were that many and that many more women or children. I mean, but it was at least 5,000 uh, with just a, a, a let's see, uh, they had 200, let's see, uh, uh, one of the disciples, Andrew, said to him, there's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Five loaves, two fishes, Jesus feeds 5,000. Well, here's an explanation for you. If every one of those 5,000 just took a tiny little pinch, you could potentially just pinch off enough tiny little pieces of those five loaves and two fishes that everybody could say that they had eaten. The only problem with that is in John chapter 6, uh, verse 13, they gathered them together. Uh, Jesus told the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. They had more when they ended than when they started. That's a clear miracle. That can't be explained away. Right. So can they be explained in some natural way? No. Grant says no. Kent says Miracles cannot be explained in a natural way due to the fact that they go beyond the limitations of natural laws. But, and so really, by definition, they can't be explained away. If they could be explained away in a natural, if, if, if there's some natural explanation, then it's not a miracle. Right. Well, and that, again, goes back to why making that right definition is so absolutely critical. Okay. Uh, 931-381-4567, if you'd like to jump in on the phone tonight. The chat room's pretty quiet, other than the contingency from Iowa helping us out there tonight. Uh, sign in the chat room. Share your, share your comments with other listeners on the program tonight. We ask also in that second question, Jacob, what are some of the unique and identifying characteristics of true Bible miracles as contrasted with the claims of modern-day miracle workers? Well, there are several things that are true of, of real miracles for instance, let's take a, a miracle of healing. 
when miracles of healing were done, they were instantaneous. Uh, for instance, in Mark chapter 2, there's that episode where Jesus was in a house. There was such a crowd of people around that some men came burying a paralyzed man on a cot. They couldn't get in because there was such a crowd. They got up on the roof, tore the roof back, let him down. And Jesus healed him. Uh, so uh, notice in in Mark 2, verse 11, I say to thee, arise, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Arise, take up thy bed, go to thy house, go thy way to thy house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it in this fashion. So, you know, here's this is one of the characteristics of a of a divine miraculous healing versus, well, I've been sick and I went to the doctor, and he prescribed some medicine for me, which I took. It was very expensive. Uh, but I took it, and I took it according to the instructions. It, it didn't. It. I still felt pretty bad for quite a while, but after two or three weeks, I, I started getting my strength back. And I'd say after a month, I was pretty back, pretty much back to a hundred percent. You or, see the difference? Or I went. I got. I got this bum leg, and I've, it's been hurting me to walk. And I went and saw Benny Hinn. And he hit me in the forehead, and uh, in, and it's been getting better ever since. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm getting there. Yeah. That's not the kind of miracles that we see in the New Testament. I'm exactly. thinking about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, Peter wasn't the first pope there. That's proof of that. But Luke chapter 4, verse 20, uh, 30, uh, 20, 39, Luke four thirty-nine. he stood over her. She had a high fever, verse 38. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. This wasn't, he didn't give her some Tylenol. Yeah. That fever left. And so, and so dramatic was its departure that she's able to immediately get up and start serving them. You, you get over that. Even you take some Tylenol and the fever goes away, you're still wiped out. Yeah. She's immediately up and serving them. Yeah. Uh, years ago, I went to a faith healing rally, which I think is really an interesting exercise. If you, any of our listeners, if you get a chance to go, they don't, they don't have near as many of them as they used to have. But if you catch wind of a faith healing rally being conducted anywhere near to where you live, go to that. It is a really interesting experience. I've been to several through the years. I remember one time going to one and, uh, there was, it was a woman healer. She was a, she was a, a, a contemporary of Oral Roberts before Oral Roberts died. So that tells you how long ago that was. And, uh, she, in, in the course of these different carryings on, she just stopped and she said, the Lord's just laid something on me. I perceive that there's a woman in our audience, a pretty large audience of people. She said, there's a woman in our audience. Now let me think. You have just detected that you have a lump in your breast. Who is that? Who Who is it? Somebody here. And right close to where I was sitting, a woman just very timidly raised her hand. And so the, 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 the faith healer woman saw her. She says, I want you to excuse yourself and go to the restroom. And I want you to, to examine yourself because you've been healed. Uh, God has healed you of that cancerous growth. So I watched this woman, and she never moved from her seat. And after a whole bunch of more carryings on, the woman said, "Oh, wait, wait! What about that? What about you, Gal? Did did you find out that in fact the the, the tumor is gone?" And the woman said, "Yes, it's gone." 
she hadn't moved from her seat. She had she hadn't examined herself in any way. Uh, but but he, but notice the, the the nature of that kind of. I couldn't tell if there was a tumor there to start with. I certainly couldn't tell if it was gone when the, when they claimed a, a miracle. You know, that's like curing somebody of a headache. I can't see a headache. I, I, I can't arthritis tell. pain. I can't see arthritis. I, I, you know, uh, so so many of the healings that they claim are are unverifiable ailments to start with. Certainly unverifiable healings. But notice in Matthew chapter fifteen, verse thirty. Great multitudes came unto him, having with them those who were lame and blind and dumb, maimed, and many others. And he, and they cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them every one. I can tell when a guy's lame. I can tell when a person is blind. I mean, you might be able to fake blindness a little while, but ultimately you're going to be given away. Dumb, maimed. The, the kind of healings that took place in the Bible were obvious ailments that were obviously healed. And that's a real distinction between modern healers. And people today want that, so the fake healers have come up with ways to try and show something visible. The old man with the leg that one leg shorter than the other trick, yeah. you know, or you yeah. pull it over here, oh, it's shorter. Oh, it got longer again. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the, yeah, certainly even at that, there's so many differences between uh, New Testament and, and miracles. And you know, some of these investigative programs uh, on television have actually exposed some of these guys through the years oh, yeah. because they they got they got plants in the audience, and they also have wireless communication between their between their worker who's going through the audience. And they're communicating back and forth, and so it's been exposed to be a complete fraud. Yeah. All right. We are up on a break. Let's get this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Some arguments that demonstrate miracles are not happening today. We sort of let the cat out of the bag. We do not believe they occur today. We're going to talk to you and tell you why. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, before we leave, says true miracles were obvious. They could never be explained away, whereas so-called modern-day miracles are easily proven to be false and are easily disproven as being fraudulent by observation and analysis. And Grant says, um, okay, Grant passed on that one. We'll get a break. Real quickly, Brian asked a question. I got I Brian, Brian's good at stumping the preacher, but he's asked a question here that I've thought of too, and I don't have the answer to it, Brian. In Mark 8, I've been curious uh, a time or two why Jesus twice applied healing hands to the blind man's eyes. It wasn't necessary for two times, I know. Just wonder if there isn't some symbolism I'm missing. And I don't know, Brian. You know, that's the time when Jesus, uh, uh, initially, he, he, he laid hands on the blind man. And the blind man, I said, I see men as trees walking. Uh, and Jesus laid hands on him again, and he, then he could see clearly. I don't, I don't understand that episode. I don't, I don't know what the significance of it is. There may be some symbolism there that I'm missing, but I'm missing it too, Brian. I don't know the answer to that. All right. Brian succeeded tonight. Brian won preacher nothing. <laughs> We're going to break, and we'll be back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. If you were arrested and facing a trial, you would want to hire the best lawyer available. You'd want one that had experience in criminal proceedings. It would be even more helpful if you could find one with personal knowledge of the judge who would try your case. 
he would then be able to advise you about how you should act in the courtroom, how you should dress, and any particulars that might help you get the most favorable ruling from the judge. All of us are facing a certain and real judgment, Hebrews 9.27. This will be the most important of all trials, for it involves our eternal souls, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Thankfully, we know the judge. Based upon this knowledge of him, we can prepare ourselves to stand before his judgment. Consider, first, he is a just and all-knowing God, Revelation 15.3, Proverbs 15.3. With a human judge, you might hope to offer a bribe or to hide the truth from him. That will not happen with the eternal judge. Second, he judges by an absolute standard, John 12.48, Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. Some judges interpret the law differently than others. Some refuse to uphold every element of the law. But the Lord will judge us all by the final and complete authority of his word. Third, he will judge each one based upon their own deeds. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Revelation 20, verse 12. Our system of justice is based upon the presumption that some crimes are worse than others. If we can convince the judge that our violations aren't as bad as those of others, we might hope for a lesser sentence. But in the final judgment, we will not be able to benefit by comparing ourselves to others or by pointing out people who are worse than us. Fourth, extenuating circumstances won't be allowed as a defense with this judge. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Fifth, his judgment will be final. There will be no appeal process. Luke 16, beginning verse 19. So, you know the judge and his methods. Prepare yourself. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Dwight Bovett. And I'm Michelle Bovett. And we're from Ames, Iowa. We listen to the virtual Bible study every week. And we invite you to do the same. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com or on YouTube at... Oh, wait, you're muted. There you go. Yeah, on College View Livestream. That's a different channel from when you're watching. Yeah, just Google College View in your uh, search bar. You'll find us and a lot of study materials on there, a lot of our sermons, and yeah, a lot of good materials on there for you. All right. Add to your Bible study. All right. Um, we are talking about miracles on the program tonight. Yeah, and, and we're, we're to the part that I think is really important. Ex, uh, explain why we believe that miracles are not happening today. And there's three reasons, and we want to talk about each of them. And we ask our emailers to do the same. Now, if, if, if the Bible said that they were still occurring today, would you have any problem believing them? Uh, if the Bible said they were still occurring today, I would believe them. I believe, every, in fact, that's probably a really good point to make, Jacob, is that we believe every miracle that the Bible records exactly as recorded. We're not trying to explain them away. We believe in, new, in the miracles of the New Testament. But we also believe the New Testament when it explains to us that they're not happening today. Yeah. So, yes, we believe in all the Bible miracles, both Old and New Testament, by the way, but we believe and we we have reasons to believe that they are not happening today. And those reasons, our first reason is because we understand that the purpose for the miracles has been fulfilled. I always remember an example a preacher used years ago. When you're building a house and you're working on a house, you have scaffolds all around the house so that you can get up and do the high work and do the necessary things. But when the house is finished... You take the scaffolds down, they're not needed anymore. And he explained that he thought that was a good way to view miracles, and I do too. The miracles were intended during the, the, the time when God was still in the process of revealing his truth to mankind. Everything was being made known. But once that process was finished, 
then the miracles which were for revealing and confirming the truth they're not needed anymore jesus promised the apostles in john 16 beginning verse 12 he said i have many things to say unto you but you cannot bear them now Howbeit, when he the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear that shall he speak and he will show you things to come so the spirit the, the apostles were, were promised that to them all truth would be revealed now that being the case we're not waiting for new truth to come from god but when that truth did come from god it needed confirmation so when when the apostles or other inspired men of the first century were were speaking or preaching they were telling something absolutely new and and there needed to be some confirmation that what they were saying was actually from god in mark 16 Verse 17 beginning, Jesus said, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And so, you know, what were the signs, the miracles? What were they for? for confirming the word that was being revealed in and through these men. Now, there would be some people, and and I don't know, uh, some of our listeners I'm sure are aware that there are some critics who say the last verses of Mark chapter 16 don't belong in the text. I think they do, and volumes have been written about that. I think the last verses of Mark 16 belong there, but some would throw that out. So if you don't like that, go to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, but with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. God bore witness to what these men were testifying to by the miracles. The miracles were for the purpose of revealing and confirming truth well all the truth has been revealed and all the truth has been confirmed and therefore the miracles aren't needed anymore let's dig in a little deeper to that the purpose of miracles has been fulfilled it's important to note that miracles have not been ubiquitous across the history of mankind miracles have not been omnipresent in human history they were at certain periods of time where we see miracles even in the new, in the Bible being revealed, yeah, they were there for a purpose. They weren't just there for a novelty. They weren't just there to heal people of infirmities or help people out of sticky situations. They were there for a purpose, and we say that purpose has been fulfilled. Here's what Grant said: We do not need miracles today. We have all we need in the written word. That is the theme of the Gospel of John. John 20 verses 30 and 31 reads: Therefore, many other signs also Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There was a purpose for miracles. Yeah, exactly. And that purpose was, as you said, to prove what was being said was true. And from God. Yeah. And from God. You know, as an example of the fact that healings weren't just for convenience, in, in Paul's final letter, second. Timothy chapter 4, in his final words, he's sort of sending out greetings and salutations. 
He says in in Second Timothy chapter four verse twenty, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Well, why did you leave him there sick, Paul? Why did you heal him? Because healings weren't just to for the sake of the sick person being healed. They were they were always intended to be a, a source of confirmation for crying out loud. Think about Paul's one of Paul's closest companions, Timothy. He had stomach problems. He Paul said, himself had a thorn in the flesh. Had a thorn in flesh. All it takes, Paul, is you hit him in the forehead and he'll be healed. That's yeah. not what they were for. Exactly. The people that were going to raise their hand, maybe listening to this tonight, and, and and pounding the desk and saying, "Wait a minute, there's still people that are sick all over the place. There's still a purpose for miracles. There's still people that are sick." But that wasn't the purpose of miracles even the first century. That's exactly a good point. The purpose of miracles was to confirm truth. Exactly right. Uh, you know, and, and uh, here's another sort of illustration. So the miracles verified the truth that was revealed. Once verified, we don't have to keep having miracles to verify that the New Testament is the Word of God. It's sort of like a check. If you go to the go to the bank and get a certified check, they certify that the funds are available to cover this check. You don't have to keep doing that over and over again. Once it's been certified, it's certified. And the same thing's true with the word. Once it's been verified or confirmed, that purpose is over and miracles aren't needed anymore. Amen. All right. Uh, real quickly, the second <clears throat> argument we would offer is that the means of receiving miraculous power no longer available to us. Did we miss an email there from Kent or anybody? No, on? I, I need to go deeper into uh, Grant's on the purpose oh, okay. being fulfilled. He says, The miracles were used to confirm and bear witness the message spoken by the Lord and his apostles. Miracles were used as credentials. He references Acts chapter 2, verse, I mean, Hebrews 2, 3, three and 4, where the, the, their message was confirmed. Additionally, Mark 16, uh, 19 to 20 reads, uh, So that when the Lord had, Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. And sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Yeah. And also, Paul described these miracles as signs of an apostle, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And so, they were confirming there again. Thank you for that, Grant. And Kent says, the purpose of miracles has been accomplished. Miracles were performed to either reveal divine truth or confirm such truth. All truth has been revealed and confirmed. Therefore, the occurrence of miracles has ceased. Let's grab our last break, Jacob, and then we're going to go quickly to the top of the hour, continuing to present these reasons why we know that miracles are not happening in the world today. All right. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. Misconception number 56. The folks at College View Church of Christ aren't led by the Spirit. They're afraid of Him. Some people say this, but it's simply not true. The fact is, there is not a single thing we do at the Cosby Church of Christ without first getting the Holy Spirit's approval. Granted, we don't have healing crusades, miracle ministries, or slayings in the Spirit, but we refuse to do anything without Holy Ghost guidance. You may have been misled about us. Why not come learn the truth about the Cosby Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.? Remember, the truth will set you free. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to a recent study, 83% of parents from all backgrounds agree that good parenting can be learned. 69% of parents say that if they knew more positive parenting strategies, they would use them. 54% of parents wish they had more information about how to be a better parent. That information is via 0to3.org. The Word of God says in Ephesians 6, verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, talking about miracles and why I believe they're ended. You know, there was also a a purpose in the first century, in the absence of the revealed Word of God in a written form. Uh, There was some edification associated with the miracles. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about that as well. Probably connect with that revealed word. Because they didn't have a written word to, yet to go to. So yeah. that it, it needed, the, the, the direct divine inspiration was still needed until it all got mm-hmm. established in writing. Right. Okay. Uh, the means of receiving miraculous powers no longer available to us. In the New Testament, people received the ability to work miracles in one of two ways. One was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised to the apostles. He never promised it to everybody. He promised it to the apostles in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. We see it happening. Uh, But only the apostles received that Holy Spirit baptism. The only other recorded instance that we have of that is in Acts chapter 10, When Peter went to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius becoming the first Gentile convert to Christianity, and Cornelius was baptized with the Holy Spirit in the same manner that the apostles had been. Lots of symbolism there to show that the Gentiles were were fit subjects and equally uh, uh, welcome into the kingdom of God. Those are the only two instances. But if you think about it, in Acts chapter 2, there were two baptisms on that day. There, the, the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit, but also 3,000 people were baptized with water for the remission of sins. So there were two baptisms on the day of Pentecost. But by the time you get to the book of Ephesians, we think the book of Ephesians was one of the books that Paul wrote during his uh, first Roman imprisonment in the mid-60s uh, A.D., maybe 63 to 65 A.D., something like that, so about 30 years after Pentecost. By the time Paul wrote Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, verse 4, he said there's just one baptism. So wait a minute, there were two on Pentecost, but by 30 years later, there was only one. Which one? Was it Holy Spirit or water? It was water. In that same epistle, Ephesians 5, 26, Jesus sanctified the church, cleansing it with the washing of water by the word. So water baptism prevailed. Holy Spirit baptism had ended. It it was never for everybody. It was never commanded or instructed. It was always only a promise and only a promise to a select few people. And so we can't receive miracles by Holy Spirit baptism today. The only other way that people received miraculous abilities was by the laying on of the apostles, and especially, exclusively, the apostles had the power to lay hands on people and pass miraculous gifts on in that fashion. We see that when Philip... So, in Acts chapter 6, Philip has the apostles lay hands on him. In Acts chapter 8, he goes to the city of Samaria. He's working miracles. So, Philip... Because the apostles had laid hands on him in Acts 6, when you get to Acts 8, Philip goes to Samaria. He works miracles. The apostles have laid hands on him. But he cannot pass that on. Later in the chapter there in Acts chapter 8, Peter and John come to Samaria, and they lay hands on people. And this Simon the sorcerer saw that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, miracles were given, and he coveted that power. But only the apostles. It was a one-generation pass. The apostles could pass it, for instance, to Philip, but Philip couldn't pass it on to anybody else. It was a one-generation pass. What that tells us, of course, is when the apostles are all dead, 
there's obviously no way to get it like that either. So you can't get it by Holy Spirit baptism. You can't get it by the laying on of the apostles' hands. So that's a second argument to prove that miraculous powers don't exist in the world today because there's no means of receiving them. That's what Kent says. There were only two means of receiving the power of to perform miracles. Holy Spirit baptism, only apostles of Christ received authority to perform miracles by this means, and such ceased by the time the epistle to the Ephesians was written in AD 61, Ephesians 4, verse 5. Acts 19, 1-6 informs us the only baptism extant at the time of the writing of the book of Ephesians was water baptism. The impartation of miraculous gifts by the apostles of Christ, Acts eight fourteen through seventeen, Romans one eleven, was the only other means. We have no apostles of Christ living among us today. Therefore, the means of receiving miraculous gifts have ceased. Good. And then Grant says the spiritual gifts, including uh, effecting of miracles, was by the laying on the hands of the apostles. We see this in Acts eight eighteen. That Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Since there are no apostles today, and any of individuals who had received a spiritual gift through the laying on of the hands of an apostle have passed away since, we must conclude the spiritual gifts have ceased. Thank exactly. You, exactly right, Grant. Okay. Real quickly. So, purpose fulfilled, means of receiving gone. Third reason is that the scriptures actually say they were going to end. The important text here is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, beginning verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is part shall be done away. The miracles were during a time when there was only partial knowledge. But when perfect or complete knowledge was available, Paul says there that the, the miraculous gifts would end. Well, we have the perfect revealed will of God, and and we have to accept that it has happened as Paul said it would happen. When the perfect, that is the perfect revealed will of the perfect, complete, full revealed word of God, once it was made known then those partial gifts were taken away because they weren't any longer needed. And uh, to prove that, look at the language of this. This is not talking about Jesus' return, because when the miracles were done away with, we would still have, verse 13, faith, hope, and love. Faith still occurs, will not be here when Jesus returns. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And hope will not be here when Jesus returns. Look at Acts or Romans chapter 8, verse 24. This is talking about sometime here on earth when that which was perfect would come and these things in part, the miraculous, would be done away with. That is talking about the coming of the scriptures. It is not coming, talking about the coming of Christ. Uh, the context does not allow for that. The, what remains in Acts chapter in Romans, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, does not allow for that either. Exactly right. Um, Grant, Real quickly in the chat room. Dwight asked, would God not be a respecter of persons if miracles still happen today? Some would say, why did you get healed, but my child didn't? In other words, if he's just healing some and not others, it would make him a respecter of persons. He says, uh, people who don't, you know, one of the arguments, he says, people would say, they, you didn't get a miracle because you didn't have faith. But actually, in the New Testament, we see people without faith still receiving a miracle. Classic example, that's Acts chapter 3, the, the, the lame man at the gate of the temple. When Peter and John came upon him, he was asking for a monetary handout. 
And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I given to thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And and so that lame man was not believing that he was going to get a miracle. He was actually wanting some money, and he got a miracle anyway. So he didn't. The recipient did not have to have faith in order to receive a miracle. All right. Um, Here's what uh, Kent says. Kent says. the New Testament state of miracles will end in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Right. Grant said, references 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 again, um, that, that partial would be done away when the perfect had law of he liberty. He says the, the, this scripture teaches that when the perfect comes, the perfect law of liberty, James 1, 25, yep. then the partial will be done away, the, being the spiritual gifts. All right. So those three, I think those are really three important reasons. Purpose fulfilled. Means of receiving no longer available, and the scriptures plainly say they were going to end until when. Okay. So I mean, I think that's an art, an ironclad case, explaining why miracles, true miracles, are not happening in the world today. Okay. Now that brings us, and we're just about out of time, but that brings us to the last question. How do you explain when people claim that they have seen or know of miracles happening today? How do you explain that? Kent says one does not determine truth by subjective thinking or desires. Truth is determined only by objective evidence, and there's no objective evidence that miracles are being performed today. Yeah, you know, and I think he's right. Uh, the people who make those arguments, it's, it's emotional. It's about a feeling that they have. And that's not how you determine whether something's true or not. And Grant says, I would go back to the definition of what a miracle is and is as defined in the Bible and compare it to what they claim to be doing as a miracle. And then Mohan says, we know the canon of Scripture is closed, so the people who claim that they have seen miracles may be experiencing hallucinations or seeing tricks of people wanting to be magicians. All right. All right. So... Uh, let me add to, I think all those answers are exactly right. The burden of proof in those cases is upon the people who are making the claims that miracles occurred. So let's see the hard proof. I've never, I've, I've talked to lots of people who believe that they've witnessed or know of a miracle, but I've never seen any of them produce the hard evidence that it actually has been so. Like you say, so here's a guy who had a tumor. And suddenly the tumor's gone. Well, we don't know that that was a miracle. The doctors can't explain it, but the doctors are not all knowing. It's as, it's as likely that it was by the natural healing processes of the body versus some miracle. That's not a provable miracle. It's The burden is on those who claim they know of real, true miracles. The burden is on them to prove that. Uh, Lots of hoaxes have been documented. And so so I knew about a case. Yeah, well, if you dug into that, you'd find out that that case had been debunked a long time ago. Uh, Lots of hoaxes have been documented. Uh, It's really easy for people to be deceived. You know, people, if you want something bad enough, you, you, you set yourself up emotionally for a delusional uh, event. You know, you can be deluded or, or made to believe something that's not true if you have high expectation that that thing is going to happen. And I think that happens a lot. Uh, and again, we've seen that these miracles are in stark contrast. These claimed miracles are in stark contrast to the real, real miracles of the Bible. Uh, you know, we got, we got, so we still got a lot of people playing on, on the minds of people. You mentioned Benny Hinn earlier. Uh, Robert Tilton, Jimmy uh, 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 Swaggart, and 
Jim Baker and a host of others who, Oral Roberts and, and his cronies, just a whole host of people who play on the emotions of people, deceiving them into imagining that they can get a miracle. It's nothing new. Back to Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. He had previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. Saying, they all gave heed. This man is the great power of God. He was good. They would have told you 100% without fail, this man is working miracles from God. Yeah. He was tricking them. Exactly. And some, in defense of this, will say, you know what? There are fakers out there. I know, though, the people who are really working miracles, they're the ones that are giving Jesus the glory. They're doing it in Jesus' name. And if you give Jesus the glory, that must prove that you're really sincere, you're really working the miracles. That's not always the case. Look in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, verse 13, certain vagabond Jews, exorcists, who took upon them to call over uh, them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. They were doing it in Jesus' yeah. name. Yeah. They were giving Jesus the glory. Yeah. And they were fakes. Yeah. And there are fakes today that are doing it in Jesus' name, claiming to give him the glory. It doesn't prove that they're working miracles. Yeah, and they may be just as deceived as the people they're deceiving. And they are deceiving. And so what Kent said is we got to go back to objective truth. What do the Scriptures teach about yeah. it? And the Scriptures are clear that they were there for a purpose. And I can ground myself on that, and I can't. And that way I'm not deceived by my emotions or what tricks people may doing. I can go back to the objective truth, and I need to stand on that. And I can and, be very weird. do that. So, so what about by... Wife's third cousin twice removed. Well, I don't know about that case, yeah. and 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 I don't know the particulars, but I don't have to because I know what the Bible says. Yeah. I talked to someone earlier this week. He said he taught, was talking about some missionaries. He says miracles are occurring because every time they go to Africa, they're seeing the Spirit move and all these people getting healed. You know what? That's in Africa. Have they been doing it when they came back here to tell you about it? Or are they just telling you something that's mysterious that you can't prove? Yeah. We've got to stand on the objective truths of God's Word and not let our emotions get in the way. Exactly right. All right. Kyle, thoughts? Yeah, I think it's it's an important study. I think we need to make sure that we have a grounding in what the Bible says. And, you know, things things happen, and there are blessings. You know, we've been blessed with people having been sick and they've over time gotten well and you know a baby is a blessing that's a newborn baby it's a wonderful thing it's not a miracle it's a blessing but you know we need to make sure we using our phrasing right we're not that's that's not it's a miracle it's a blessing for, it is a blessing there you go. all glorious to god and we're not limiting god absolutely god right. can do anything that he wants god's limited himself that's right yeah, yeah and, and that's a good point because i've heard people oh you're just limiting god no god put these these principles into place not us right Right. Yep. All right. Kyle, appreciate your help tonight getting us out on the air. And uh, we appreciate uh, the time, Dad. It was good to be with you tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Good to be with you on the other end of the line. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. 
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.